You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Gene Jendel, and he is an agile consultant, uh, coach. We're going to talk to him a little bit about organizational design, about his experience in working with companies to change the way they work to be more responsive, more customer-focused, more iterative in the way they operate and deliver. With that, Gene, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being on your podcast. Let me... um the quick intro. I'm not so great at introducing myself. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> but I will say just a few things, you know. So yeah. my, my hometown, my home base is in New York City. This is where I live and uh, this is where most of my actions take place. This is where I serve most of my clients. I have traveled the world and have been pretty much all over the globe, a lot over the United States. My niche is in um, organizational design and, and consultancy system dynamics, training, coaching, adaptive learning, agility. Those are the buzzwords that usually get thrown <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. That's how people associate you know, my name with, with what I do. But I try to tone down on terminology as much as I can because yeah. lately has been dramatically overloaded. Overused so, to some extent. Overused, overloaded, you know, <laughs> yeah. really fine. So, um, so let's do. Let's let's start with a couple of things. First, let's talk a little bit about what we mean by agile, what we mean by lean. So, um, you know, when uh, you know, again, these terms get thrown around a lot and kind of mean, I think, a lot of things to different people. What do they mean for for you? Like when you talk about an organization being agile or being lean, what does that mean? Okay. Well, let me, let me put it this way. So I try to strike the term agile from my dictionary. And I, I made that decision a few years back uh-huh. when I was privy to, uh, to the history of the term agile as we know it today. Yeah. In fact, not too many people know, but back in 2001, when the Agile Manifesto was written, the, the bunch of guys that got together in Snowboard, Utah, yep. they contemplated what uh, they should really call this thing that they're about to launch. I think the word adaptive was as equally was given an equal opportunity at that time. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to digress to say exactly why the word agile has been chosen over the word adaptive. But as long as, so just to to be clear, the word adaptive was the original precursor. There was the original candidate. And we ended up with the word agile. And the reason why the word agile is less pleasant to my ears is because uh, a layman person does not really uh, perceive it well. Uh, It's not a layman person's language or lingo unless someone comes from sports, athletics, or military, they don't really understand what agility really means. When they say adaptive, that's a little more a household term, and that's easier to understand. So for me, a litmus test Uh for for anything that is labeled as agile would be, well, can you also call it adaptive? Does it still make sense? 
If the answer is yes, then like okay, then you're probably using the word that agile rightfully. Uh-huh. But if you just lost sense, that means you're probably were misusing the word agile. And if we, if we go back to Wikipedia, agile is nothing but a limp, uh, light-footed, acrobatic, uh, less and very very adaptive. It's like almost think of it uh, be, being able to turn on a dime for a dime without breaking a leg. Yeah. Uh, if you can do that, going like 60 miles an hour and then turn on a dime <laughs> for a dime and not break your leg, that, that makes you pretty adaptive. If it took you forever to do it or if you had to you know, spend a lot of energy or, or some, something happened along the way, that means it wasn't a cheap move for you. Yeah. So you weren't that adaptive. That's the word adaptive. So you also m- like uh, mentioned the word lean. Yep. So lean to me, I mean, I, we can go back to lean thinking and they probably talk a lo- for a long time about this. To me, lean is something that makes us light, uh, waste-free, or uh-huh. waste-conscious. And uh, when I think of lean development or lean companies, I think of you know a very, very lean steak with very little uh, fat to it uh, and lots of protein. So uh, to me, lean is where, where we really don't overburden ourselves, overwhelm ourselves with excessive, cumbersome stuff. And this stuff comes in the form of processes, tools, protocols, disciplines, roles, responsibilities, artifacts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's really my definition of lean. And of course, in order to be agile, in order to be adaptive, a person or an athlete or a machine has to be lean. Yeah. Because if we carry too much, too much extra body weight, then our ability to turn on a dime for a dime would be so much lower. So that's how I married it too. I like it. I like it. Yeah, and I think that's an important kind of point or clarification or or reframing of that agile term in terms of adaptive. Because I think a lot of people, at least my experience is, a lot of people kind of go into this or, or think about, oh, okay, well, we, we want to learn how to be agile. And then once we learn, we're done. <laughs> and and oh. I think that kind of misses one of the tenets of, of lean agile, which is you're never really done. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a constant done. pursuit. Yeah, and it's it's a journey, and you know one of the things I've I've seen more more often than not, I wish it didn't, is when you know actually it comes from senior leadership of some of many companies. Yeah. When are we going to become agile? Yeah. It isn't a binary switch overnight. It's a journey. Yeah. It could maybe take months or years, and just by setting that tone alone, actually leads to lots of lots of dysfunction in system gaming because everyone's to you know call it um, you know call it a win. We have become agile. We, we're done. We're never done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's uh, that, that can be hard for some folks that want to check the box or they want to, you know, finish, they want to write one check that get them the whole way, and it's uh, it's not really how it works. Interesting. So, so let's talk a little bit about from an organization point of view. So, philosophically, you know, the, the idea of you know, turn on a dime for a dime uh, that makes sense. When it comes to actual organization adaptability, what what are the, some of the things you look at, or some of the things that you're helping a company with to be more adaptive? Well, uh, as as a coach, so I try to not lead when I, when I enter a company. I try not to lead off with with a statement such as, I would like to make you more adaptive, or I would like to make you more agile, because they just rubs up the wrong way. As I, as, as I mentioned, there's so much terminology overloading and terminology hijacking out there. Uh, it, it'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll just trip the wire at hello. So I, I would typically walk in with, with ambition to learn, uh, with a mission to learn what a company is like from a standpoint of organizational design, uh, reporting structure, and uh, the first thing I would typically ask for, could you please give me a blueprint of your organizational structure? Okay. Give me your org chart. Yeah. An org chart is a very good indicator what a, what a company 
what a company would look like. Uh, many, many people out there, even some coaches out there, maybe less, less versed people, they think that they can walk in and change organizational culture you know, at hello. Uh, they yeah. actually focused on the wrong thing because I actually leverage a lot. Well, I learned from Craig Larman and some other um, agile evangelists out there. Actually, Craig says, and this is one of the um, Larman's laws of organizational behavior, uh-huh. culture follows structure. Yeah. Following on the wrong thing will get us to the wrong place. It is the structure, organizational design and structure. That's the first, the primary uh, indicator of everything. It's the, I call it a first degree variable that defines system dynamics. Interesting. Once, we that once we understand what a structure is like, we can kind of figure out what a culture is going to look like. It's funny, we, we had this, um, I spent a lot of time on the, on the technology side in Agile, and we always had this phrase of, show me how your teams are structured, and I'll tell you how your code is structured. You know, and that, that the code structure will mimic how the organization is set up, and, and how, you know, how control, and how fiefdoms, and how, you know, boundaries between departments are, are designed, like that will end up impacting how the software system is designed. And I think the same is true, you know, for many parts of an organization, it's like how, how you choose to organize people will impact a lot of things about how the organization behaves. It's funny you say this uh, because what you just described is actually what I think back in 1967, Mel Conway defined as a Conway's law. Organizational systems yeah. is, the, you know, is the direct blueprint of, of organizational structure. Yeah. So when we say org structure, we mean teams, of course, right? So yeah. their team is quasi Ill, you know, ill-defined than a code base, than a system they built, it's going to be also ill-defined. We're going to have that 80-20 perimeter problem where you got, you know, 80% of the system are doing, you know, 20% of the thing, but we're spending so much time yeah. on, on building things that are not necessary. So I totally whole, wholeheartedly agree with what you just said. Yeah. If the team structure is ill-defined, so will be the code base. And yeah. I think uh, the guy who I also respect a lot, his name Bob Martin. Um, oh, yeah. Uncle Bob. Yeah, Uncle Bob. Yeah, Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. Yeah. He, when he talks about clean coders, he he, ref, he he refers to team structure as well. I mean, yeah. you know, your, your crappy teams will produce crappy code. Yeah. So how? So walking into an organization, you ask for the blueprint. You see the blueprint. What are you looking for? Like, what what are you noticing or observing in what that blueprint looks like? Well, I use the you know I usually whisper to my own head into my own <laughs> ear. The flatter the better. The flatter the better. Uh huh. And I don't always expect to see a complete flatness, but what I do like to see is an organization that's conducive of uh, waste removal efforts. Yeah. Could be done in, in, internally by themselves or maybe with, with, with help of an organizational design consultant such as myself. If I work into the company and I get a blueprint of, of, an, org chart, uh, of an org chart that has a, you know, apex uh, structure that is, you know, very, very monolithic, very, very convoluted, very cumbersome organizational design. To me, it's a good indication that this org structure has a lot of waste, has a lot of challenging processes, tools, norms, protocols, relationships. And it's it's just a very, very, very difficult, you know, very difficult object to work with. So I always look for that, you know, possibility of future flatness. And it, it, again, it's a journey. It isn't something that could happen overnight. Yeah. So um, I look for those indicators, uh, reporting lines, how many people reporting to how many people, who is doing what, uh, what, you know, how many single specialty roles we have, how many governance, how much governance, how much 
command and control, how much um, condescending, potential condescending tom down behavior, behaviors we should yeah. expect. Those things you can actually fish out from just looking at the org chart. Yeah. Again, we don't, we don't look for complete flatness because orgs need to have uh, senior leadership. Uh, that it's not, it's not. It's it's not totally flat, but yeah. there's a difference between having you know um, a pyramid that has you know this you know, a wide base, tall. yeah, yeah, wide base versus a very narrow base and super tall. So yeah. if these super tall structures, we know that they have been built to optimize locally, optimize many unnecessary roles, processes, and tools. Yeah, it's really local optimization versus organizational system global optimization. And that's what we look after. If we see a lot of local optimization for roles, responsibilities, single specialty, single function roles, this is an indicator that this organization is very not agile yeah. and very not lean. And well, yeah. the flip side of it, there's plenty of work for us to do. But <laughs> yeah. Well, is there, I'm curious, is there, any, is there any organizational pattern that you see in an org chart or you know, an org, a blueprint that you would look at and you would walk away from? That <laughs> you would say this is just not fixable, or we, you know, we need to just start over versus doing incremental change against this well, plan. If I look at the org chart at, at Hello, and if I see it looks overly complex and overly cumbersome, that's that alone is not a turnoff for me. That's not a push away. Yeah. Okay. What, what will make me uh, less optimistic and more skeptic skeptical is if people that have invited me also expect me to treat the org structure as a de facto that is not challengeable. That's the yeah. problem. Unwillingness to change. Yeah. Yeah. If there, if, there, if there is no willingness to change, if they would like to treat their org structure, their org design as is today, as a de facto, as something is not going to change. And if they expect us to work around and about to do the bare minimum so that someone can check the box, I would usually step back and say, look, there's so much I can do, right? If you, I, I like bringing lots of analogies in my training and in my mm-hmm. conversations from uh, construction industry, from health and therapeutics and for medicine. And I would give something like this. I would say, look, you're asking me to help you, let's say to drop 200 pounds. At the same time, you're not willing to change your, uh, not <laughs> willing to change your habit. You don't want to exercise. You don't want to go on a diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go exercise. You don't want to go on a diet. You, you do not want to do anything that will bring you to a better state. And you just want me to work with you on your superficial appearance. And if that's the case, then I will be disservicing you. And I will be actually breaching my own internal, you know, personal yeah, uh, working ethics. So, yeah. and, and I probably would push away from the table. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. So let's talk a little. You mentioned a couple of things uh, before. I wanted to dig into a little bit. So you mentioned waste in a process, uh, and you mentioned local versus system optimization. What do those things mean? I mean, I would sort of you know educate our listeners here a little bit about what sure, you mean by those sure. things. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'll probably start with a local versus system okay. of global optimization because this uh, that's usually once you learn it, it's it's hard to unlearn it. Right, <laughs> you start seeing it pretty much everywhere. So um, imagine a single specialty role. Let's take a system architect. You know, a senior system architect that hasn't really coded. You know, for the last twenty years, maybe not ever. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, apparently there's some people that have managed to become oh, yeah. senior architects without ever putting a line of code down. <laughs> I've, I've seen them. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and then, then let's imagine this. So this person is locally optimized to 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 create work, to create, and let's let's uh, you know fast forward. Like let's look at Scrum as one of the uh, most uh, commonly used um, agile frameworks. That person would be solely optimized to create lots and lots of backlog items or yeah. user stories, as we call them, in a backlog that are specific to architecture. Guess what? These are, these are not cross-cutting, cross-functional user stories. These are 
componentize. Architecture is a component. Yeah. These are componentized user stories that are not even user stories. They're componentized chunks of work. Yeah. So locally, this person would be doing the best he or she can to produce many uh, backlog items that are architecture-centric and work against them. And they will be overly busy. They will be super busy doing great job working yeah. just architecture. From a local perspective, they are doing really well. From a global, from a system perspective, from a standpoint of a buying customer, if I was a product owner, if I was a buying customer, I would probably ask a question, what the hell are you working on? Yeah. You're working on architecture that is like six, seven months out. Yeah. I may not even need it today. So we can think of some other single function specialties that could be potentially drafted into the same type of work. For instance, take UI UX designer only. Mm-hmm. He or she would be only optimized to uh, develop GUI. And that GUI could go, you know, you know, months and months out, uh, but that GUI will not be really talking to uh, business tier or to backend logic. So yeah. from a standpoint of a buying customer, I'm wondering why you're working on stuff that is low priority to me. Yeah. They could take a BA, take a business analyst, they write BRDs, agile BRDs, or they write mm-hmm. agile stories, business analyst stories that are, you know, four or five months out. By the time we get to those, those BAs have probably, you know, decommissioned and went elsewhere. So there's no one to interpret this work, but they were very local optimized when they did this in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I sometimes use the analogy uh, and, and maybe a little facetious, but I use the analogy of, of, you know, moving deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, if you're, if all you know how to do, do is move deck chairs, you know, when the ship is going down, you're just going to start moving deck chairs really, really fast. Cause you need to feel busy, you know, because you, you sense urgency, but, if your scope, if your purview is so focused in in uh, a local situation, you know that's not going to help the overall situation. But yet, there's nothing you can do. Like if you're stuck in a local optimization scenario, that's right. And, and funny you said this because you know there's a there's a fundamental difference between a system output and system outcome. You know these guys are very Ooh, keen on having high output of their work. They they're trying to be super productive in what they do, but the the ultimate outcome is actually not so high. And, yeah. and um, you know, when we married it too, it's really what really... I like that. Really I, that's, a, that that's, that's a new one for me. I like that. Output versus outcome. Yeah, uh, outcome is what really, what really yeah. uh, brings your you know, return on investment high. You know? It's something that really puts food on the table. Output yeah. is like when, when teams are focused on velocity only. Yeah. It's the rate of output. And when senior leadership keeps asking this question, what's the, what's the velocity? What's the velocity? What? That, that's paving the road to system gaming uh-huh. and inflating your estimates and just going after higher velocity. What's the output in the tail, on the tail end of it? What's the business impact? Could be very low. Yeah. So we don't want to go just fast. We want to go in the right direction. Yeah, I always I have the story from uh, back in my sort of development days of a we were doing a uh, a backlog development meeting with a bunch of senior execs and we were kind of talking through the business process and we came up with all these stories and you know we were all excited seeing this big backlog we're gonna have weeks worth of work it was you know looking great and then one of our developers was questioning this whole kind of process it was it was shipping books there was this element of shipping books and and they kind of looked at the system and they was like well we could just we could just do a make a, a file we could just export this as a text file and just send it to email to the side and once a day they could just uploaded to their system and they would basically get the same thing done and all the senior execs were looking at us and saying yeah let's just do that and we wiped out you know you know 150 points <laughs> of development that we were trying to integrate these things because by really thinking about what was the output that was needed like we we're focused on you know, 
trying to get output, right? We wanted, we wanted stories we could deliver. And, you know, instead of just thinking the outcome, what was the outcome they wanted? We just wanted an updated record once a day to be able to ship the books. And I mean, from my point of view, it was kind of frustrating because we had, you know, it was probably $150,000 of development services <laughs> that we wiped off the table. But, you know, you know that, that's, that was just as good. It was just as good, if not better, than doing all this technical work. And so that whole thing at Velocity, we could have spent, you know, six weeks with with output, you know, with with generating stories and generating code and delivering points, but not really thinking about outcome. Or if you really think about outcome, we we got to outcome much quicker by just taking a different path. And so I think I think that's that's often the case, and particularly on the development side of of when you get yeah. stuck in the output mode and not thinking of the outcome mode. That's good. Yep. So I just want to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, outside of technology, when we think about this for it, really any kind of process or any kind of service-based business, or, or any really any business, but particularly service businesses, if you think of your... Uh, the work that you do, that the things that you do to deliver values to customers, whether you're a law firm or an accounting firm or marketing or you do environmental engineering, you're producing reports. I mean, this is that that same problem comes up. Like if you have someone who is, uh, you know, is an expert uh, or a, a single, you know, single focused uh, expert in a particular part of the process, that they will often look to create value in their little step, but that will make the overall delivery of value to the customer less efficient because of this local local optimization for versus the global sort of system throughput optimization and i think that's something a lot of a lot of companies struggle with when they don't have a clear view of what the overall process looks like and they're just looking at particularly when they have management metrics in place to force you know billability and you know output focused measures around management, performance management, this can really become a problem. I mean, I've, I've seen companies where a particular department is highly productive. They produce a whole lot of output, but it creates havoc for the rest of the organization. I don't know if you, what, where you've seen this. Uh, so I could, you know, very painfully associate <laughs> with what you just said. Let me explain why. Yeah. Give, me a, give, me, give me a chance. So first, I'm going to play backwards a little bit. To, yeah. uh, about performance measurements and about individual performance and all that you know, 50-year-old way of uh, incentivizing and uh, encouraging individuals to work hard and, and well. That is just, you know, so old. That's, that must go. So many companies these days just stepped away from this approach. Um, there's so much literature, so much documentation, so much research and analytics behind not doing performance management the way it has been done for the last 40, 50 years. Yep. People are still in a towering mindset. People are still in in the you know McGregorish way of, of of pushing down on people and, and you know <laughs> yeah. dangling a dangling a carrot in front uh-huh. of their nose and trying to make them work hard, yeah. not smart. So that whole thing just will just you know makes it, I think it makes a blood boil of many people, but yeah. not too many people yet speak about it out loud. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, I think your other question was about uh, you mentioned about. A local optimization being seen not just in product development yeah. space. That's very true. Like one one of the biggest ironies of my recent experience, but also you know I could roll back years, a few years back. More often than not, I would have to uh, interface with someone who thinks who would think that Agile, who would think of Scrum or Kanban being designed only for software engineering. Now, truth be told, mm-hmm. Scrum was originally created yep. for product development and for software development. However, it has gone so much broader and wider than 
just software engineering. Like if we t- if you look at Kanban, for instance, you know, it started from Toyota production system. It, we can roll back, um, you know, decades and decades before software engineering engineering was even, you know, uh, you know as big as we know it today. Yeah. So it is. It does not have to do only with software engineering. It could be so much more. Yeah. It could be in marketing. We could see agile um, work, a- agile type of work in marketing, in construction, and in HR. In, in procurement, in vendor management, pretty much anything we put our finger on, we could, you know, we can scrutinize the way people work from a standpoint, are you being adaptive in the way you have been working? Are you local optimizing just for the benefit of your local little group or your, this specific individual? Yeah. Or are you optimizing for the overall outcome? So that's just, um, so I've seen it a plenty. Yeah. And uh, what, what, what strikes me often is that people think, well, if they, they are not in software engineering space, if they're not in product development space, then this not, does not apply to them. I always use a simple analogy. If, if someone does construction work in their house, uh-huh. and if they have a, a construction crew that comes on site that is specialized in everything from soup to nuts, plumbing, carpentry, masonry, uh, decorations, roofing, and every worker on that crew can do something more than just his or her single specialty. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be better? If you need to do demolition and you got a 10-man crew, guess what? Everyone can do it. Yeah. If you want to do plumbing and there are three people that are experts in plumbing or two or th- and two or three are good at plumbing, then you just have ex- you know, extended your capacity from three to five. Yeah. So that could be so, and we talk about funding or, or budgeting. You know, as, as, a, as a homeowner, would you rather pay incrementally to your crew, maybe every few weeks and see what they have done for you so you can course correct mm-hmm. and make sure you don't spend your money on things that are not uh, maybe necessary or would you rather um, sign an SOW with them that you know speaks about you know seven months out deliverable and they don't let you back in seven months and then they come back to your home and you see they put a sink in the, in the middle of the uh, guest room, you yeah. know? Those are analogies I usually use, and and, and this is so I can very strongly associate with those cases where people think, well, Agile isn't for us because we're not in software engineering. This isn't true. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, it's interesting. I think the, you know, when you pull back to kind of the principles and the ideas and kind of techniques around agility, and then you can start applying it to basically anything. I mean, I, I, I always joke, I, I have, uh, my wife, you know, gives me my, you know, all the all the things that she wants done around the house. And I give her a, a stack of index cards, and I have her put all, you know, each thing on an index card, and then I tell her roughly how long it's going to take me, and then I have her prioritize it. And, I'm, and I, it's just like, I've, I've applied agile principles to managing my marriage on the week. <laughs> because really? because it works because it works because you know I'm I'm happy to do anything you know you tell me what's most valuable you tell me what order is I'll tell you you know roughly how many hours I have or how many points I can get done you tell me which ones and I'm going to start at the top and I'll do as many as I can you know and I, it's and, and it's and it's it's the basic principles it's just applied to a very different context but yep. uh, so so let's talk about the other one which was uh, waste when we talk about waste I and mean, we're not talking about trash and garbage around the office here like when we when we talk about waste inside process or inside you know how an organization runs what are we looking for like what are the different categories and and how do we identify them well you know if we are really strict about waste you know how we define waste anything that is not like we could use we could probably use 
software software development as an example, although I'd rather not based on what we just said, because not just software development. When we talk about Agile, it's not just software development. But here's an example. Uh, with software development, we could argue that anything but working code is a waste. But some of this is a necessary waste, right? Yeah. Like, for instance, the backlog and, and, and backlog items and acceptance criteria and processes around maintaining the backlog, like uh, product backlog refinement or, or sprint planning, we can consider those as wasteful because in the end, your customer does not consume those. Anything that does not translate into a tangible deliverable that a paying customer pays for could be potentially considered waste. However, there's some of it is so unne- so um, necessary, inevitable, yeah. so yeah. necessary, we have to deal with it. Yeah. And it will become a throwaway in the end, but we need to get through it. So, so what we look for, we look for those patterns, those in, uh, cases where we see a lot of residual, unnecessary, cumbersome waste that is by far more excessive than minimal. I'll, we could use yeah. an example of, um, I think you mentioned metrics just you know, a few yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. You know, I believe that metrics just are as good as that people, that people that produce them and people that consume them. So if we produce garbage metrics, if we produce something that's either misleading or it's not easy to consume, then not only is it wasteful, it is also harmful. Uh, we could call, yeah. um, uh, let's look at the good old business requirements document, you know, the BRD yeah. or, or, or something that's very heavy and monolithic. If we really parse that document line by line, we could potentially extract maybe, you know, 25 to 30% of it that, is, that could be translated into a functional specification into working code. The rest is fluff. The rest yeah. is stuff that is necessary to look the document good, to make the, the document look good. Yeah. That's wasteful. Yeah. And of course, we can digress into roles and responsibilities. This is actually more sticky and more challenging than people think, yeah. but it's necessary to talk about these things. Why? Because we're talking about local optimization. Well, guess what? If we have a team of seven, uh-huh. and it doesn't matter what they do, but uh, whether they develop products or services or they, they sell or they market or they procure something else, if out of these seven people, only two or three people are actually doing tangible, meaningful work that translates into a deliverable, and the other few are there to you know, maybe collect metrics or co- uh, create reports or, or create statuses or do stuff that is unnecessary. Now we're, now we're seeing waste not only in, in, in artifacts, now we see waste in processes and perhaps in some of the roles. So this mm. is where organizations, and this is actually a sticky part because when we start talking about waste in roles and responsibilities, any organization that has a lot of the latter uh, will become natural defensive. Because Ooh, okay. this actually goes back to, um, you know, one of the alarmants laws of organizational behavior. Organizations are locally optimized, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, organizations okay. are locally optimized to protect status quo or a, f- a first and middle le- level management. Ooh, and yeah. when we say first, yeah, so it's not necessarily management, it's not, it's not necessarily a person who is in a management position, although it's oftentimes the case. Yeah. It is people that sit in, that, in this middle tier that we call the frozen middle. People that sit in the middle and they kind of, uh, uh, they are benefited from when things become stale and things yeah. become idle. When there was a lot of waste, there was more stuff to work on, right? Think of, we can think of an elephant or a rhino. Uh-huh. As it grows, it consumes more food. As it consumes more food, it becomes bigger. 
as it becomes bigger, it comes, it needs more food. So it's a positive feedback loop. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. So we have more waste. We have, we need more people to work in that waste. Once we have more people, then we need to create ways to get them busy. No, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, when organizations focus on sort of keeping everyone busy, that often ends up creating a whole bunch of inefficient or a whole bunch of waste in processes just because people need to look busy. If that's the, if that's the that's right. uh, organizational culture, if that's, if that's how people get managed. That's right. You know, we are busy and, 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 uh, and we're working hard and that's just, uh, you know, doesn't cut it. Right. And for me, at least it doesn't cut it because working, it's not, we don't want people to work hard. We want to work smart. Yeah. We want them to gain, you know, lifestyle back. We don't want them to do, you know, run five miles in the wrong direction on a tangent uh, and then, yeah. you know, go another three miles in a different direction. So they actually, to you know, uh, yeah. I, I forget the, uh, the, theorem from geometry so <laughs> you have to yeah, but i think you know what i'm alluding to you have to go in the right direction right yes. and if you realize early enough that you're not going in the right direction you have to change the course yeah yeah and that's what makes us adapt right rule number one you find yourself in a hole is stop digging <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't help to dig faster okay yeah this has been fascinating i mean i think there's you know lots we could discuss about applying this in different areas but i think this is a really good um discussion around uh adaptability and uh, you know why we kind of think about or or um help companies with agility and and thinking about lean uh if gene if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do what's the best way to get that information uh, well, so uh, I, I try to I try to keep it very humble and, and sort of <laughs> keep it low. But uh, people probably could Google me. You know, I, I have a website. I call it a non-for-profit uh, website. Uh, there's pr- practically no what's going on, but it's I have collected a bunch of good information over this at keystepstosuccess.com. Okay, there's a plenty of artifacts that build their blog. Others, there are thousands and thousands of articles, some recommended books, some um, some feeds, RSS feeds. So it's, it's, it's some pretty cool stuff you can people can find. There. And of course, through through the website, they can find me. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can just you know just Google for my last name, my first name. I don't try to hide. <laughs> uh, I'm, I will, I'm out there, but I will put the URL and the link to your profile on the uh, show notes here, so people can click through. But this is a great discussion. Um, there, there's probably you know a couple more episodes we could do, and in, in getting into all the details and the organizational change side of it, and how organizations change and what they struggle with. But um, I think oh, yeah. a, this is a great discussion around uh, just agility and adaptability, and it was really helpful. I really appreciate the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm happy to be here, and, and thank you for inviting me. And you know. I like you said it right. We just scratched the surface. Yeah. We we are talking about fifty thousand feet view, and and there's so much more to. If we start peeling back all of these topics, we're going to discover lo- lo- lots of great stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah uh, it's been a has been fascinating for me to to have a discussion with you, Bruce, and yeah. uh, hopefully it, was, it will be useful to your listeners as well. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll schedule more episodes. We'll get into those. Those are those are important topics. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks again. Well, thanks, Bruce. We'll uh, we'll be in touch. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.